Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. As a traveler, it's a fact you're going to need to manage your spending in different currencies. You need a service that not only helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, but also does it without the hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This is where WISE comes in. WISE is the easiest way to connect all of your finances internationally. I've been a customer for over a decade. It's been a lifesaver for me as a traveler, a nomad, and now a permanent resident abroad. If you're a traveler who's still using your regular bank, you need to check this out. Join 16 million customers and learn how the WISE account could work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash travel. That's wise.com slash travel. Thank you to WISE for supporting today's show. This episode of Zero to Travels brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. There's something about the aesthetic or the values that appeal to you and jive with who you are. And I've always felt that since a teen when I was participating in goth subcultures and fashion and events, even in Vancouver when I was a teenager. And that just felt like home and that was the community. So that's never left me. That's La Carmina, who is today's guest. She has a clear passion for subcultures and what she calls, quote, alternative beauty around the world. And really this alternative way of traveling in some ways. She's been a travel TV host for the Travel Channel, NBC, Food Network, National Geographic, and Discovery. She's authored four books and is also an award-winning journalist who has explored over 70 countries. In addition to this amazing list you'll hear today, you're going to get some advice on seeking out unique travel experiences and much more. It's all happening right now in this episode. Buckle up, strap in. Thanks for being here and welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. Listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now, your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey, this is Jason here with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. Excited to welcome La Carmina to the show today. You can learn more about her at lacarmina.com. And one of the TV shows she did host was World's Weirdest Restaurants. It was on the Food Network, and I was excited to get her list, which, as she shared at the top, transcends just these locations, but it'll give you some ideas on where to go and perhaps some themes that you can explore in your own backyard when it comes to having food-related experiences at home or around the world. She was the perfect one to tap for this episode, and I appreciate the way she curates and how she approaches travel, and we get into her story about how she transitioned from Yale Law School to a life of travel, essentially, her time volunteering with a punk band in Myanmar, and much more. Hope you enjoy this episode, and stick around on the back end. She does issue a challenge at the end of this conversation. You're going to hear my answer to that, plus a quote from one of the queens of quips. 
Thanks for listening, and I'll see you on the other side. Enjoy the conversation. How are things in Vancouver? The weather finally turned rainy. It was a really long summer of heat, as I think every country had. Vancouver is one of those places that I haven't been, and it drives me crazy. I don't know if you have certain destinations that, you know, there's especially, oh, I want to visit this place or that place. And then there's certain destinations where you're like, how have I not been there? It's sort of driving me crazy I haven't been there. (laughs) Vancouver is one of those for me because I've heard so many incredible things. Do you have other destinations like that? They're just like, oh. Oh, you know, the funny thing is Norway is one because I've been to most of Western Europe, Scandinavia, and somehow I miss Norway. All right. I'm glad to hear that we're on the list. Did you grow up in Vancouver? Yeah, I did. Um, Lived in a couple of places and it's a good home base still. It's nice to have Canadian citizenship. I'm sure you like Norway situation considering the world these days. Yeah. Yeah. I got a citizenship here this year, as a matter of fact, and I have the US citizenship now. So, well, they, they didn't allow dual citizenship for a long time. And I just kind of operated under the assumption that they would allow it one day. And then they did. And I was like, yes, my master plan. Yeah, it's good for the long term. (laughs) (laughs) It is. Do you have a place that you feel most at home? Is it at home in Vancouver or some other places? Oh, well, Japan is like a second home to me because I spent so much time there, formative years. And I love the subculture, the food, everything. I have so many friends there. So being back there after three years away because of the pandemic was amazing. I was there not too long ago. Okay. Yeah. So it was three years away from what you would consider your second home. So what was that like just kind of getting back there and seeing seeing your friends? Oh man. You know, I felt I had to get resituated because a lot had changed. Um, even in a few years, things closed or, you know, new things popped up. So I was busy. I felt every day there were people I had to see because it gives you the sense after the pandemic, you never know when you see people again. I didn't think the country would be closed off for several years like that. No, nobody could have predicted that. (laughs) Yeah, I really wanted to make the most of it and, you know, do all my favorite things and nothing's better than that. (laughs) Yeah. Is that the place that you've spent the most time in outside of your home country, would you say? Oh, at this point, yeah. I mean, I my family's from Hong Kong, so we would go there a lot when I was a kid. But, uh, you know, as I was into my 20s and then I would start... I would spend a lot of time in Tokyo because I was blogging and writing books about Japanese pop culture. And then I would still go back every year or so for different jobs and to see people. Um, So, you know, it's it's interesting when you fall into patterns of travel and you kind of take it for granted that travel is free for you, you know, as in it's easy if you have a good passport. But that's not always the case. I'm so grateful that I have a passport that can allow me to or has allowed me to move around the world in that way. I should just mention, I am on with award-winning travel and gothic fashion journalist, author, blogger, and TV host for Discovery, National Geographic, and Travel Channel, among others, La Carmina. You can learn more about her at lacarmina.com. Of course, we'll link up to everything in the show notes. So officially, welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, La Carmina. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for taking the time to get up so early and do this. I know some years ago, you did some volunteering with some punk bands in Myanmar, I wanted to hear more about that experience and ask if you had heard it from any of your friends there since the coup. So Myanmar turned out to be one of the favorite places I ever visited for me and for Yukiro, my friend who went with me. 
And, you know, it's interesting because people don't, uh, for, for me, my focus is subcultures around the world. Wherever I go, I check out what are the goths and punks doing? What's the alternative culture? Is there some niche here that's different? And it turned out that Myanmar has this hardcore 70s styled punk scene. As in, if you picture people with mohawks and they make their own studded DIY clothing and they party hard, they rock out. And that's centered around this one band called Rebel Riot. They speak English and they're really welcoming. So despite the piercings and tattoos, these are some of the kindest people you'll meet. And that extends to their volunteer work. Uh, they organize food drives every week to help out people in Yangon. And they also do educational supply drives for people in the rural areas, including Rakhine. And it's really fascinating because Myanmar is known as a Buddhist country. It is. There's temples everywhere. You see the influence. And it's fascinating to see the intersection of Buddhist philosophy with punk. It's just fascinating how that it takes place in many countries around the world. But Myanmar's expression is particularly uh, powerful. And uh, you asked about the coup. We stay in touch over Facebook. And it's a little hard to know exactly how much they're posting or feel comfortable posting, but I do see them in that punk rock spirit standing up and, you know, still standing up for minorities and the little people and doing some protests and concerts for that. I mean, on one hand, you know, there's the sort of the punk rock attitude of counterculture and, and you know, anarchy, maybe some of those things that it represents. And, and doing that in a place like, you know, the United States right now, let's say, freedom of speech, like most likely they're not going to throw you into a, a military prison for, you know, many years to never be heard from again. It's another thing to continue to embrace that in a in a place like Myanmar where things are happening and there's real risk of not to belittle like other punk bands out there, but I think there is a bit of a difference there, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. And that's why I, I find it fascinating because I also cover drag queens and LGBTQ culture around the world. And then when you see that in places like Lebanon and Israel, that takes on a whole other level as well. And, you know, it's great that I'm so glad that I, I'm sure you never regretted any trip. And I'm so glad I prioritized travel, especially over the past five years when I really ramped it up. Because when the pandemic happened and countries became off limit, but also a lot of places became quite, you know, instability has increased and in what I call collapse. So you see it accelerating in places like Lebanon and Myanmar. You know, it's possible I could never go back there realistically. So I'm so glad I took the opportunity when I could. Yeah, that is one thing you never know if you're going to get the chance later. In your exploration of, you know, subculture, alternative cultures, and using your words, whatever you want to call it, how does that open up places for you? Oh, enormously. And I think this can help, but this can work with any niche within a country. It might be food, it might be a type of artisan or craftsmanship, or it might be, you know, a type of niche sport. But in my case, it's the alternative subculture. And I think you get to see the perspectives of those often that are on the margins, that are marginalized within a society often more so if you're a place like in the Middle East or in a more conservative society. And so I think it's fascinating to see how a subculture expresses itself within a very different cultural context. It seems to me, just kind of from the research I've done, kind of like providing education, humanizing people who are perhaps deemed by some to be living their life or part of their lives on the fringes of society in some way. 
kind of defending people's belief against the mainstream narrative created by whether it's like mass media or a large institution, uh, like a religious institution or whatever. Am I off base there? No, you're so <laughs> point. And I think that's one of the great things about travel, because it's one thing to look something up online. But if you have the privilege to be able to actually be there speaking to people and seeing it for yourself, I think it opens up a whole new window into empathy, uh, into seeing how someone very different from you can live their lives and where they're coming from. Because often, I think subcultures make people uncomfortable. You might see things like extreme body modifications. That's another thing I like to cover. And we're not talking tattoos and piercings. We're talking people that cut their tongues to look like snakes or do, uh, you know, saline uh, bulges in their forehead that are temporary or do devil horn implants into their foreheads. So, you know, a lot of people have a knee-jerk reaction and think, oh, this is weird and I don't get it. I don't like it. So I like to kind of question those expectations and say, hey, you know, people express themselves in different ways. Why don't we just get to know where they're coming from, what motivates people to want to express themselves in a way that's challenging. I mean, people aren't going to do these challenging things unless it really matters to them. And maybe we can better understand them and appreciate it. Why is that important to you as an individual? Like, why, why does that drive you? What is it about that that it makes it such a central theme for your work? Mm-hmm. You know, I think I've just naturally gravitated to alternative subcultures. And I see this among my good friends as well. It's not like you just choose to be goth or punk. I think if you talk to people that are in the scene, you just there's something about the aesthetic or the values that appeal to you and jive with who you are. And I've always felt that since a teen when I was participating in goth subcultures and fashion and events, even in Vancouver when I was a teenager. And that just felt like home and that was the community. So that's never left me. I never went full goth, but I have to say my first concert was The Cure. There was some there were some nice gothic tendencies in The Cure. And, and they're coming out with a new album that seems very exciting, by the way. Anyway, shout out to The Cure. <laughs> I can't imagine you having much fun in law school. You went to law school at Yale. That sounds like a bad recipe. <laughs> well, you know, it was good and bad about that. I, it also made me realize I wanted to do something more creative and that I, I was, you know, rather than working for someone, do something more independent. And so I started my blog during law school and that was my outlet for expressing and writing about cultures, subcultures around the world, particularly Japanese and Gothic uh, fashion and lifestyle cultures. And it was lucky timing because, well, first the medium suited me very well, the whole writing and sharing photos and firsthand experiences in real time. That and also uh, blogging was very new. So I was an early adopter and that led to a lot of early opportunities to help grow what I do today. Uh, But the legal aspect, you know, in law school, you don't just learn how to be a desk lawyer, you learn a lot about how to reason and how to approach the law, critical thinking. Kind of starting with a blog back then, it's a bit of a Wild West kind of blogging scene and with timing and things like that. But you seem to have been able to craft or like a unique career for yourself built around, you know, what you love, who you are, being around, you know, the people and the, the things you like to be around, getting to travel, which sounds like another love for you. I was just wondering if you had some advice for anybody listening about 
creating or crafting a unique career for yourself because you seem to have done really well with that. No, thank you. Yeah, well, I guess there's no one path because technology and trends change so quickly. You can't recreate what happened today because blogs are arguably pretty dead now. And now it's social media, podcasts really took off. Um, but I think the main thing is I kept putting out content. I think it's really, it's often difficult to put things out because you might get criticized or you might get feedback and whatnot, but you learn so much from it. And the more you do, the more you put out. I mean, I see you have what, over 600 episodes or something. You just have to put in the work and put things out there and uh, it grows. And I think, you know, when you mentioned I'm into subcultures and all that, I never thought it might take on this expression. It was simply a natural gravitation and things like social media didn't even exist earlier on in my career. There was only MySpace. So I think an ability to evolve and, uh, you know, test the waters and experiment a little and just see where things go. I, I mean, it's something that I've been doing for years that ramped up and you just go with the flow and sometimes things happen. <laughs> Should we get into this list of the world's weirdest restaurants? Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, alongside your personal travel experience, I think you've been to like 70 plus countries or something like that, right? You've written books, hosted TV shows on the topic of food. You've done a lot <laughs> around it. So I, I just wanted you to share your sort of foodie background so people would have a better understanding of where you're coming from. And then maybe we can get into this this pretty fascinating list you put together. Yeah, great. And again, that's a great example of how sometimes if you write or, you know, pursue something that piques your interest, and then you just keep on putting out content, it can lead to unexpected things. Uh, so because I have a, my family's from Hong Kong, we often spent a lot of time in Asia. So I'd be eating my way around places like Tokyo and Hong Kong. And there's also a really great Asian food scene in Vancouver, Canada, where I lived. So I was really drawn to that and not just the food itself, but the pop culture elements, because even back in the day, you'd see these cute cafes in Hong Kong and Japan, Hello Kitty themed cafes, stuff that you would not see in North America. And when I was in Japan around 2007, 2008, there was this new trend of theme or fantasy cafes. And again, this goes with the theme of how it depends on the time and moment, because now everyone's heard of maid cafes, cat cafes, you see them all around the world. But back then that was new. And nobody was writing about them because blogs were pretty new. So you might have a couple of Japanese websites written in Japanese, but nobody writing in English about their personal experiences visiting an Alice in Wonderland themed cafe or a monster themed cafe. So I started blogging about that and that got a lot of traction leading to articles, leading to the book deal for a book I did earlier on for Penguin Random House called Crazy Wacky Theme Restaurants Tokyo. And that covered a bunch of the craziest restaurants in Tokyo, but I also cover crazy restaurants all around the world. <laughs> yeah, this seems to be like a really good intersection for your work, right? Like you've just being interested in sort of the subcultures, you know, taking that into the food world and then finding some of these sort of interesting places that aren't the normal. I think you've been to all these places as well. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure if you prioritize these lists as like from 10 to one, or if you just put a list of 10 together. No. Okay. Yeah. Well, what I did with this list is I tried to include theme restaurants from different countries because to be frank, most of them are in Japan or in places like uh, Bangkok or um, Seoul. So the majority are in 
that region, but they are found worldwide. So I tried to include a selection from different countries since that does kind of have a effect on, you know, you, you get a peek into the culture through that lens. We'll get back to the interview in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by U.S. Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway, not Taco Tuesday. Well, more importantly, I could have earned rewards for every scrumptious bite of those chorizo soft shells. Introducing the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points when you go out for dining or order takeout and restaurant delivery, including tacos. Plus, you can earn two times points when you shop for or order your groceries, two times points when you need to fill up or charge up at gas stations and EV charging stations. You're even rewarded with two times points just for your favorite streaming services. Go to usbank.com slash altitude. Go! To learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Visit usbank.com slash Altitude Go to apply. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association pursuant to a license from Visa USA Inc. Some restrictions may apply. This episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. We're excited to partner with Nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best off-the-beaten-path destinations to visit. And there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys, and it even has the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds, so you can bring the fun with you. But Nissan also knows that it's not just about where you go. In a Pathfinder, the real fun comes from getting there, and that's something we love celebrating here on the Zero to Travel podcast. We believe that life is about finding that joy within the journey itself, and that's why. We're thrilled to partner with Nissan to celebrate adventurers everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Zero to Travel and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Now, back to the show. All right, well, let's start with uh, the Bangkok kid, my death cafe. Uh-huh. <laughs> Can you tell us about that and why I made the list? Yeah. Okay. So that is a death awareness cafe and it may not be what people expect. They might be expecting, oh, a Halloween scary cafe, but actually talking about uncomfortable topics, it approaches the idea of death and dying and kind of makes you face it. Even from the way when you walk in, you go through a tunnel with all these questions about death. And then when you get there, uh, don't get me wrong, it's not a morbid and serious place. You get to uh, try to go inside a coffin and see what that feels like. Or you get to put on a vest that makes you feel like an old person. So you can experience the simulation of what it feels like to move throughout the world as an older person that's burdened by, you know, physical ailments. And it's interesting because there are displays about death cultures in different countries. There's the idea of Swedish death cleaning, of how... When you get older, you try to minimize and pare down your possessions in order to help the people after you so that when you die, you aren't leaving them with a house full of clutter. 
And, you know, a lot of people don't like to think about that. You, a lot of people move around in the world thinking, oh, I'm going to live forever. So it's interesting to go to a cafe that addresses it head on. You're not. <laughs> Something can happen at any time. And why don't we just approach it and kind of have a bit of fun with it, too? And it's not. And let me also emphasize there's fun aspects. You can hang out and drink uh, a death-themed milkshake next to a skeleton. <laughs> um, but it's really artistic and well done, I think. Well, I think it's important to talk about it, confront it, and acknowledge it, which is not... I think it's becoming more popular to do that, I guess I, I'd say, in the Western world, just kind of like, you know, hey, this is a fact of life, and let's be a little more open about this. But I, I love that this idea was combined with food, a cafe. <laughs> that, those are Having those two things together makes it, I think, really interesting because, yeah, well, let's go have a good meal and kind of like... Maybe it's hard to get regulars there because you're like, how many times do I want to face my own mortality in a given week? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but it sounds like a really cool place. I, think I love that aspect, though. And that's the thing about theme cafes. It was a good one to start off on because I think sometimes people write them off as, oh, you're, you're just, it's like a Halloween or dress up cafe and it's just for the sake of fantasy. But sometimes there's an other message there. I think that's one great thing about theme cafes. It lets you enter a different world, be a different person, even for a short amount of time, inhibit a, a different universe than the one that you're used to. And I think that can help you to gain new perspectives. Next up, Tokyo Kaigaya. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Yeah, Kaigaya. What's going on there? I don't even know where to start, but I can tell you that is within all of the Tokyo themed restaurants for my friends and I in the gothic and subculture scene, this is our favorite by far. And that's because it's not a commercial um, theme cafe that's based on decor or whatever. It's all about the owner, Mark, who is incredible. He trained in you know, traditional Japanese dance back in the day, but the cafe he created becomes a surreal experience based on his performances that involve bizarre costumes and nonsensical uh, artistic weird performances that just leave you laughing. He's hilarious. And I don't want to spoil surprises, but let's just say when you go there and you think you're in a normal izakaya or, uh, you know, a family style restaurant in Japan and nothing is as you'd expect. So when you're asking for the menu, it comes with all these uh, surprises and weird performances that leave you laughing. And we never grow tired of it. We keep going back over and over. <laughs> Sounds amazing. Cool. All right. Well, we won't we won't include too many spoiler alerts there. I'm adding this into my uh, growing file of travel things to do when <laughs> I'm out there. All right. Let's go back to your hometown or where you're located, I should say, now in Vancouver, Twin Peaks Restaurant. Yeah. So there's a restaurant called The Black Lodge in Vancouver. And it is Twin Peaks themed. So anyone who's seen that... Okay, the show, based on the show. Yes, which is a cult hit, David Lynch, and it's from the 80s with the whole Laura Palmer story. And it, can, it captures the theme perfectly with these wood cabin style booths. You can have black coffee and cherry pie. There's Twin Peaks decor all over, and the cocktails are themed after characters or phrases in the series 
And I, I love that. I love fan experiences. I, I you know, I'm, I'm fascinated by fandoms as well, because some people are just obsessed with the most niche topics. But then Twin Peaks is one that I think a lot of people really adore. And it's great to see a restaurant where they recreate uh, the Red Room, for instance, is one quite famous element. And they made the whole hallway and bathroom look like it. So I think that's so cool to enter a world that uh, of these characters and storylines that you love you, often growing up. Um, for me, this is a bit of a aside, but there's a new Nintendo world in Japan, in Osaka. And as someone who is a Nintendo fan growing up, I want to go and see how Mario and his friends are. <laughs> yeah. I mean, is there like a display where you get to blow on the cartridge? Because you always had to blow on the cartridge to make it work, you know? <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> Authenticity. <laughs> Speaking of themes, I did an event two summers ago now. I don't know. Anyway, uh, at this summer camp, and they have a, like a summer camp for adults. And one of the theme things they have is this whole John Waters camp. You know, the director, oh. John Waters? He's a, oh, yes. Huge he's, fan. Yeah, so there's a whole like clan of like John Waters comes in and like John Waters fans and they all go to this camp in Connecticut and they have like a John Waters like weekend and they dress up like the characters and there's all kinds of crazy stuff happening and it just kind of reminded me of that because it's, like, it's just so, like you said, it's like this niche, like the Twin Peaks thing. It's like this uh, niche or niche, do you want to say, thing and you, you get to have an experience with it. It's kind of cool. Yeah, I love that. All right, Seoul Hello Kitty Cafe. Seoul, Korea? Yep. Oh, man. Seoul has great theme cafes. Uh, Taiwan as well. I mean, there's just something about the Asian experience of wanting to celebrate all things cute, cute culture. Hello Kitty's from Japan, but the Hello Kitty Cafe, I should note there are a couple in different countries, but the one in Seoul is this bright pink house with heart-shaped windows and it's adorable. I'm also someone who grew up with Hello Kitty. I had all the Hello Kitty stationery as a kid. So to go and pose with the giant statues and eat cakes shaped like Hello Kitty and <laughs> see special memorabilia, to me, that was fascinating. They often sell limited edition items too. Like in Korea, I could see keychains with Hello Kitty wearing a hanbok, like the Korean outfit, the traditional robes. So I think it's fascinating to see go to different countries and see their own take on even a single character or fandom. If you were going to open your own theme restaurant, what would it be? Oh man. So my favorite character is Miffy. Do you know Miffy, the Dutch bunny? No, I have no. Okay. So she's just another cute bunny character and she's my favorite. So maybe something around her, (laughs) a Miffy cafe coming to a city near you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there is one in Tokyo, but I would, open up a shrine. (laughs) (laughs) All right. You got the Japan Owl Cafe. Tell us about that one. Mm -hmm. Now, I guess many of your listeners might have heard of cat cafes where you go and you can play with cats. You can have some coffee and snacks, but at the same time, you get to play with a variety of cats that are roaming the cafe. No, I hadn't heard of that. Yeah. Yeah. You see them around the world now. And that was sort of the original animal-themed cafe in Japan, where a lot of people, they couldn't own a pet because they were too busy or they lived in a tiny apartment. So by going to a cat cafe, you can experience the company of other 
you know, cats without actually owning one. And because that was so popular, that expanded to different animals. There were bunny cafes and hedgehog cafes, dog cafes even, where you can experience different animals. And it's got to the point of owl cafes. I think that came out around 2014-ish. And that was a whole new spin on it because not that many people get to interact with an owl, right? A cat and dog is one thing, but to hold an owl and to see like different owls of different sizes, um, different features. And they're just so fascinating, these creatures. I love their eyes and their intelligence and the way they interact in the world. So to go to an owl cafe is a very cool way to do that. As a business owner, I wonder if you're just like, oh, I'm just going to pick this animal and see what happens. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> like, how do you know? Oh, it's I guess if it's cute and cuddly, it tends to do better, especially yeah. in Japan. <laughs> cute and cuddly. Um, the Taipei Modern Toilet Restaurant. Tell us about that one. <laughs> well, that's a poopy restaurant. <laughs> it's themed after toilets. And this is one of those things I love about pop culture in Asia. Sometimes it just makes no sense. And it seems so out there. And yet it's great if you visit. I mean, who would visit a toilet-themed cafe? But they, I'm raising my hand right now. <laughs> yes, <laughs> right? And that's the thing. It takes a concept that is so out there, and they do it in a cool way, and people can have fun. It's a great way to experience something different with your friends and have a conversation starter. So you go in, and you get to see, sit on toilets while you eat and drink, and they'll serve you a platter with imagine brown soft serve that looks like poop and you get to eat that <laughs> my and kids would love that ridiculous and that's part of the fun of a theme restaurant <laughs> that's a, that's another one where the business owner must have been like me either this is going to work like gangbusters or this is going to be the biggest bust of all time <laughs> you <Yeah>. know <laughs> either money's going to go into the toilet or exactly yes <laughs> <laughs> all right there's a a cigar bar in Switzerland? Am I reading that right? Or what oh, is it? Or Giger. Giger. Oh, G- okay. Giger bar. What's a Giger bar? Okay. So uh, have you seen the movie Alien? With oh, Sigourney gosh. Giger? A long time ago. Okay, Alien? So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Like Alien. the classic sort of with yes. Sigourney Weaver. That's it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So that's a hugely popular and influential movie. And the whole Alien the xenomorph, you know, that black uh, alien design uh, and just all the horror aesthetics that became so uh, influential in the pop culture. Those That was designed by H.R. Giger. He's a Swiss artist and his works are surreal and biomechanical is the word for it. It's like incorporating alien elements with uh, futuristic robotic elements and the museum and bar is a tribute to his world. He also did the movie, the art concepts for the movie Species 2. And he did a, you know, Dune. The, at one point, they were going to make a Dune movie before the one that recently came out. And he was going to, he did the art concepts for it, but the movie never got made. It, it's just so imaginative. Um, his bar looks, they have all these arches that look like spines. And you get to sit in chairs that look like a human skeleton. So uh, if you're familiar with the alien aesthetic, it's kind of like going into that world. Yeah, that's cool. And that's in, in Switzerland, right? 
Yeah, in Gruyere, of all places. So you can go to this cute little Swiss town and eat the cheese and then go to like a surreal horror bar. (laughs) (laughs) It's really cool. All right, in Buenos Aires, you have the Peron Peron restaurant. Got Mm -hmm. got a few more left here. Tell us about this one. Yeah, so Eva Peron or Evita, she's an icon in Argentina and they created a restaurant themed after her and her husband. So the Peron Peron restaurant, this is great. It's such a lens right into fandom, into uh, the unique culture and politics of each place. And over there, you just get to see how beloved Evita is by many Argentinians. There's uh, essentially a shrine to her and people leave these uh, pictures or offerings and you can eat and drink things that are themed after incidents in their political career, like famous mottos or phrases that they said, both the Perones. And, and there's a lot of Peronistas still, which I didn't know about. That's why you, you learn a lot of things when you, uh, you, you know, go to niche places like this. And so every so often they would sing and stamp the Peron Peron song and wave their napkins. Like they still are very much fans and uh, idolizing the Perones so many years later. Nice. Two more. We got the Tokyo Vampire Cafe. <laughs> What's that all about? I can guess. It's all about vampires. <laughs> Pretty much. And again, I think, uh, you know, sometimes people think, oh, I'm going to do a whatever theme and they get some cheap costumes or, you know, it's, that's not the case when you are in Tokyo. They go all out. The decor is immaculate. It, they put a lot of effort and thought into it. So, for instance, the hallway looks like blood and the low tables look like coffins and the waiters are dressed like vampires, but it's not kitschy, you know, dollar store costumes. They're in these beautiful Lestat velvet (laughs) capes and legit vampires. (laughs) Um, And, you know, there's candlelight. There's something about the mood and aesthetics that these cafes capture so perfectly. They really do justice, I think, to a fandom or to a theme. If you love Lost Souls or, you know, and Rice. This is like entering their world. Lost Boys to me is the the, the best vampire movie of all time. <laughs> nice. All right. Last one, we got the LA Beetle House. Yeah. So Beetle House, there's an LA and a New York location. And this one's T- Tim Burton themed. So for fans of Tim Burton's universe, you get to, uh, you know, snap pictures with Beetlejuice and you get to see displays uh, so uh, it's ma- mainly beetlejuice themed so you get characters popping out here and there but there's also tributes to other tim burton films again just it's so fun to if, if you're into john waters or a certain filmmaker it's cool to go to a place where you get to be a character in one of his films what do you think of los angeles as a city so I lived there on and off uh, for a little while, and I have lots of friends there. So I actually do really like it because if you know where to go and you kind of don't have to <laughs> handle the highways, there's a lot of great alternative culture there. Um, and yeah, I personally like it. I mean, there's good and bad. I don't think I live there, but whenever I go, I have a great time because I know what to check out and because of my friends. Yeah. How, how did the TV thing happen? Like, how do you like doing the whole TV hosting thing? Is that, I guess you're a TV fixer and producer too. I'm just wondering, is that a, 
yeah, something you enjoy? Are you planning on doing more of that? How did it happen? Yeah, I guess the fun thing is with what I do, I get to dip my toes in a variety of projects and I just freelance depending on what comes up because a lot of these things aren't consistent, especially during the pandemic, all the TV production and travel, both travel and TV shut down. Um, so I, you know, switched to writing more. So it, it, you kind of go with the flow, but everything really stemmed from the blog that I started back in the day. Some TV producers saw I was writing about weird theme restaurants and they wanted me to, and I should also note, I always post photos of my friends and me and we're dressed up in, in these outfits. So they figured I could be a fun addition to Bizarre Foods with Andrew Zimmern on Travel Channel. And that was my first major show where I showed him around weird theme restaurants in Tokyo. And then when you do one thing, that just kind of leads to more. And when you start to get more and more requests to not just be on camera, but to make the arrangements, uh, because in Japan, if you're a Western company flying to Tokyo trying to do a show, there's a language barrier. How do you make arrangements? And in Japan, you can't just show up at a place and start shooting. You have to clear it and get through all the red tape. So my pirate, as I call her, Naomi Rubin and I, we started a production company that focuses on these logistics and we help TV shows that come to Japan get their shoots done. Yeah, cool. You enjoy it? I love it. I love how it's always changing and, uh, you know, everything is it, true to the DNA, I feel, because I still have archives up from my blog from 2007, 2008. And I think when people go through it, you can see that my interests have always been consistent, my approach to life and work. And it's just different manifestations of that. We'll get back to the interview in just a moment. Would you love to have an incredible cup of coffee every day. I've tried it all. I've done the pour over. I've done the French press, but I tasted an AeroPress coffee many years ago and immediately I was sold. I had to get one. AeroPress is a patented three-in-one brew technology. This combines the flavor benefits of espresso, pour over, and French press all into one compact portable device built for travel or home. I love things you can use in both places. This device has over 55,000 five-star reviews in over 60 countries. AeroPress is the best-reviewed coffee press on the planet. I've owned one for so many years, I don't even remember how long it's been. And they are under 50 bucks, so they also make an exceptional gift. Thoughtful, proven, tasty, and travel-oriented. Who wouldn't love that? Now, you get 20% off just for being a listener of this show at aeropress.com slash zero to travel. That's aeropress, A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash zero to travel. That will save you 20% on checkout. Thanks to Aeropress for supporting today's show. Hey, it's Jason here. Did you know you are invited to join the first ever zero to travel community trip? Yes, we're planning a trip together. We're headed to Morocco November 30th through December 9th. And you can get all the details at zerototravel.com slash trip. It's open for booking now. We have 13 spots left at the time of this recording. And you have until the end of March to book. So if you're interested in traveling with an amazing community, this community, a small group of people on an incredible journey through Morocco together with me, Sign up over there at zerototravel.com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Now, back to the show. The um, subcultures, alternative cultures within places. I was just wondering if you had any advice for people listening that are traveling to a new place and they want to kind of 
yeah, just discover some cool, not the normal type of of destination or, or things to check out or even, you know, whatever. You know, there's like like you said, there's all these subcultures, interesting things going on in cities, but sometimes as a traveler, you're passing through and you feel like like an outsider kind of looking in, but you want to dive in and kind of be a part of some of that. You know, I just wondering if you have any advice around that. Yeah, sure. I, I would say don't feel like you aren't welcome because you, my biggest takeaway from all the alternative cultures and lifestyles around the world is how welcoming the communities are to people. It's not as if there's an in-group and out-group. Like maybe you don't dress goth or look goth, but you're still more than welcome to come to one of the events, just as long as you're respectful. And I'm sure your listeners would be, but I would just say there's sometimes the odd bad actor that comes there and he's trying, you know, he's just there to party and making a scene and, you know, isn't respecting the community and what it's about. But if you come there and you're, you're there with an open mind and you are genuine, then you'll be surprised at how welcoming a scary looking gothic party can be. And I would say just go for it, try it, maybe take a friend with you and say, okay, tonight, let's check out this gothic party that maybe someone like me wrote about and recommend it. So then you kind of have a sense of what it could be like, you can see my photos, you can see my reports. And then, you know, just go and have an open mind. I, I like to do that myself for things that I don't feel is my group, but I still would love to experience it. Yeah, I love that whatever your comfort zone is, it's always important, I think, to get out of it, outside of it as a traveler and in your work or whatever. You've done so many projects, you got so many things going on. I'm wondering what success means to you. Oh, hmm, that's interesting. You know, it kind of goes back to our earlier topic where I'm interested in how people approach well-being and living the idea of living a good life, even if they aren't religious or even if they don't have any beliefs in supernatural that go outside of science. So to me, success is that it's being, you know, to draw a bit into the Buddhist philosophy, being happy within or, you know, being neither grasping or, or being repelled by anything in, in the moment, and just being able to be present in the moment and sit with it and not be wanting or pushing away. So I think that's really success, because you have stories of successful air quote people out there right with fame and money and they're some of the most miserable people in the world so i really don't see that and uh, you know I, I get to see celebrities or meet them in in my work and uh, to me the most successful people are the ones that live a life that's good on their terms and that they feel they can be their themselves to the max uh, you know freely express themselves and just move through life in a way that's easy and free and and happy. Did you ever struggle with expressing yourself, you know, and so publicly online, like kind of putting yourself out there, even like in the earlier days, maybe it's easier now, but uh, was that ever a tough thing for you to do? Oh, absolutely. Especially in the earlier days, because blogging was not a career. It was brand new. It wasn't a thing at all. And nobody was growing it into a career. So you don't know what you're doing and you don't know what, what, what it's going to lead to. I think people should just you know try though because not every platform survives remember vine or you know previous uh, social media so some things they become defunct and that doesn't work out but then often like i know a lot of vine creators they grew a following there and then they moved to youtube or they moved to tiktok 
So no matter what you do, it's still a learning curve and you still do grow from it and you might gain skills or, you know, fans from it. And you can always apply that to whatever is next. So it's never a failure to just try and put yourself out there. Where are you traveling to next? You got any trips planned? Yes, I'm so excited. I'm going to Colombia, uh, to Medellin, I think is the pronunciation. Yeah. For the first time. Nice. When? um, I leave in about a week and it's a work trip because I often do press trips or jobs. And this one is arranged. It's a collaboration with the Columbia Tourism Board, but also a restaurant. So I'm going to be featuring, this sounds terrible, right? Featuring the Michelin starred restaurant, El Cielo there and the chef and getting to know the food culture of Colombia. That's really cool. How long are you going to be down there for? About 10 days, because often with these work trips, uh, you know, there's an itinerary and you have certain obligations, which are great. I mean, it's fun, but you can't do things on your own terms. So I like to often stay a few days later. I'll stay a few days on my own just to explore and get a feel of the city. I'm excited. You're you're based in Vancouver. Like you have a place there. You're not you're not uh, temporarily there, right? You have a home base no. there. Yeah, that's, I think, often a, a nice way. That way, all your stuff is in one place. You don't have to worry about it. You have a home base. I don't think I could do the digital nomad thing. I know many people do, and it worked for them. But I don't think it, at this stage in my life, and considering how I think it's going to be ongoing, uh, you know, instability in the world and restrictions and surprises. So I think this is a good way for me to do it. Yeah, yeah you got to do what's right for you. I mean, it seems like you've... You've been really good at that, doing what's right for you, right? Like just being authentic, being your authentic self and and letting these projects come organically. And, and looking back, it's probably, I mean, you've written four books now and done all this TV stuff. It's pretty incredible. So congratulations on everything. I appreciate you taking the time to to pop by here and, and share your perspective. And also, you know, this pretty, really cool list, I would say, of restaurants that I want to visit <laughs> now. Now you've kind of challenged me. I guess like I like to set out a challenge sometimes at the end of these shows. And, and maybe that's the challenge is like, go find some, like, I don't know if every city or place is a theme restaurant, but like, you know, find the, what do you want to say? The quirk? I'll let you put the challenge out there. Like find the strangest, quirkiest. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Quirkiest, most eccentric. Yeah. I'm wondering yeah. what that would be now in Oslo. I need your help finding it. <laughs> I'll take a look and send you some recommendations. <laughs> awesome, cool. Of course, I'll link to everything we mentioned in the show notes and really the hub for everything is your website lacarmina.com, right? That's where you can find Yeah, that's right, lacarmina.com and I'm on all social media because you have to be. It's at lacarmina on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all that. Awesome. Thanks for getting up early and stopping by and doing this. Oh, it was so much fun. Thank you. Take care. There you have it. Thank you to La Carmina. That's La C-A-R-M-I-N-A, lacarmina.com. You can check her out there. The various books, shows, and I love her alternative approach to travel in some ways, I would say. Some great recommendations there. And you heard the challenge at the end to seek out one of these places. Well... I found one in Oslo, although this isn't so strange, but it's different because some friends of mine ate at this place called Rest a few weeks ago. And this restaurant, 
makes meals out of leftovers, essentially. The, the leftover scraps that aren't used in food production, which is a really cool concept. Rest is short for restaurant, but it also in Norwegian means what is leftover. And on their website, they say, quote, food waste is recognized as a major challenge in Western food industry and consumerism. It raises grave moral and environmental issues. It insults common sense and it robs us of potentially brilliant tastes and experiences. Our ambition is to bring such experiences to you in our restaurants. So when my friends went, they had (laughs) some very interesting food on their plate. You can imagine what is thrown out when food is packaged and brought to your stores. They don't usually package up the, you know, the hooves and the eyeballs and things like that. So you don't really know what you're going to get, but you show up and you get something interesting. That's for sure. So I'm going to have to hit that place up. That was my answer to that challenge in Oslo. And of course, turning that challenge over to you. Is there any place you can find within a reasonable radius of your home if you're not traveling or next time you go on a trip that gets you a little out of your comfort zone? Always a fun thing to do. I enjoyed that chat. Okay, leave you with a couple quotes. First, quick reminder, zerototravel.com slash newsletter. It's free. You can sign up over there. I send out a weekly newsletter. Put a lot of time into it because it's fun, and I like to keep in touch with listeners off the podcast. So sign up over there if you haven't done so. The queen of quips, I would say, is Dolly Parton. At least she's one of them. She's got so many great quotes. And she had a food-related one I wanted to share, but then I kept reading through some of her other quotes, and I'm like, well, i got to share more than one Dolly Parton quote because she is, she's just magic. So here you go. A couple quotes from Dolly to send you on your day. First, we cannot direct the wind, but we can adjust the sails. Love that. And along those lines, if you don't like the road you're walking, start paving another one. Those two kind of go together. And lastly... She said, quote, my weaknesses have always been food and men in that order, end quote. There you go. Thanks for listening. Peace and love to you and yours, and I will see you next time. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.